Welcome into episode 18 of the Landscape Photography Show. On this podcast episode, we have UK photographer Nigel Danson. And Nigel is somebody that I had on my list right from the start when I began the Landscape Photography Show, wanting to get him on, probably because I've been watching his YouTube content for several years now, really learning a lot from him. And I even learned a lot about photography when I was preparing for my trip to go over to the UK for a few days and just try to capture some better woodland photography and try to figure out how to shoot in a style of a landscape that you find in the UK. So in this episode, Nigel and I talk a lot about, you know, what his style of photography is, what he kind of features in his photography, and then also some ideals that he has for his photography business. Let's get into the episode. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? We're here with Nigel Danson. Nigel has really made a name for himself as a landscape photographer. He runs a wildly popular YouTube channel that's just titled by his name. And it's a great place to go for really good information on on like how to construct photographs, compositions, some editing tips in there too. Nigel, I was interested to know what was your driving force into full-time landscape photography? Yeah, so <laughs> so I, I've, I've been doing photography for many years, over 30 years now. I started it um, when I was 13, um, but obviously I was just an amateur photographer. Um, I, I actually set up a software company and um, I ended up living in California. And whilst I was in California, I um, visited Yosemite, like most people would <laughs> live there, um, an amazing place for landscape photography. And I, unfortunately, when I was there, I had an accident um, in my car where I, I rolled my car a number of times. And um, and I thought I was just a bad driver or something. But then it, it turned out after I was airlifted to hospital and spent a few nights in intensive care, um, that my heart had a problem. Um, so my heart had stopped and that's what caused, caused the accident. And then it stopped him multiple times when I was in, was, when I was in hospital. And I thought then that I, I need to do the things that I love in life and not just the things that make a lot of money. <laughs> um, software was certainly, um, the latter of those. Um, it, I, it was very lucrative, but it, it's not something that I ended up really enjoying. So I made the move back to the UK and, and decided, I was going to do photography full time, um, and I, I said um, that to my kids that I was going to set up a YouTube channel. They, they, they laughed at me many times and, <laughs> and, and um, thought it wasn't going to work. Um, but yeah, I got it, I got it to work, and it was hard. It's been really, really hard work. Probably the hardest thing I've done in the last two years of, of, of anything that I've ever done, including setting up a software company. But I, I love it. So because I love it, I don't mind the long hours and working at the weekends. And um, yeah, it's it's just it's just fantastic. I'm doing what I love. How long have you been doing the YouTube channel? Um, about two and a half years, I think. 
And what do you attribute to like the wild success that it had last time I checked? You know, you're up to like nearly 165,000 subscribers. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, I don't think there was that many photographers, never mind people that want to watch me. Um, right. But, <laughs> but um, I, I think... I think I'm honest and down to earth. Um, I always wanted to be myself, and 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 it. And it, when I look back at the videos I made right at the very beginning, although they were quite cringy, that they, they were they were still me. Um, I've never tried to be something that I'm not. Um, I don't think I am the best landscape photographer um, out there. I think there's lots of better landscape photographers, but I think I combine reasonably good landscape photography with quite. Uh, um, down to earth approach and the ability to be able to give some tips because I've got a lot of knowledge over the last 30 years that I've acquired from shooting film, printing in the dark room, and then going to digital and seeing digital right from the very beginning. So I, I think I know a fair amount about photography um, and I've managed to combine adventure and learning in, into a, a channel. And I don't think there's that many channels out there that do that well i mean there's obviously thomas heaton who's probably quite similar to, to me but not not too many others really i don't think do you think it's strange being like a well-known photographer like do you get recognized out when you go take photos if you do enter like see someone else out on the trail yeah I, I, it is i do get recognized um not not so much like going to the coffee shop or something but if if certainly if i'm out on a sunrise or a sunset in a beautiful place pretty much anywhere in the world you know i i i i'm i'm likely to get recognized by somebody which is just bonkers it is strange yeah and i think people think that you know if 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 i'm there or if you know that the, oh, they've come to the right place or whatever but you know i'm as clueless as most people um you know i just <laughs> I go places and, um, you know, hope for the best weather and hope I've got a good, timed it well. And, um, you know, I'm learning all the time as well. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's totally crazy. I, I still can't believe it, to be honest. Has it taken a while to get used to? Well, the, the odd thing is that when, when people come up to you and say, oh, is it, is it Nigel from, from YouTube? And I, I go, yeah, yeah they never introduce themselves. So people never introduce themselves. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm Nigel. And then, the, the, you know, nobody ever says what their name is. So I always have to ask, but that, that's a bit odd. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really strange. Yeah, it's definitely strange. I want to go back to the crash that you had in Yosemite. I mean, looking back now, obviously a traumatic event, but something that initially, I guess, kind of saved your life finding the heart problem yeah definitely did um i mean i was so lucky that that day when i went to yosemite i i'd driven um i lived in san francisco so i'd driven from san francisco uh, it's about four and a half hour drive on a good day and and um it was really hot that day and I, i'd got there and I'd, i just went for lunch and then straight after lunch was when i had the accident in, in on the ring road in yosemite it's like a one-way road um and it closed the road actually for two hours, which was a complete nightmare for people in Yosemite because it was like peak season. Um, mm. But, but um, if it, if my accident had happened on the way on the on the pass going up to Yosemite, I don't think I'd be here because the, the, I'd, I'd have just gone over the side um, because obviously I just passed out in the car and um, <laughs> yeah, um, I was not in control of it. And luckily, 
Um, I was in a Volvo, and I think that's probably the safest car on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> when you went back and revisited Yosemite, was that therapeutic for you in a way? Yeah, it was. It was. It was good. Um, uh, yeah, and, and it'll always <laughs> quite literally have a place in my heart because <laughs> having a pacemaker fitted. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, it makes for good titles of um, talks that I do. Um, right. But, but yeah, but. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I've got um, a redwood there that's got, I've left my mark on. It's, I've stripped half the bark off it on, on, on the ring road. So that's quite nice. Um, not for the tree, obviously. Um, but <laughs> at least I can go back and say, here's where I had my accident. Um, right. But, but joking apart, I, I, yeah, it's, it is. I mean, it was always special to me because when I first started landscape photography, I, I, I was inspired by Ansel Adams and, and his books and you know, all my dark dark room work was based on on his three books on on the negative and the print and the camera, um, and I learned a lot of my photography and the zone system for printing around that from Ansel Adams. So, you know, I had been there before a few times before I lived in America, and it, yeah, it was it's it's a special place. Do you think life altering events like that really? fuel creativity yeah i think they do i think they make you realize you're mortal <laughs> so they, they, they make you realize that you don't you know none of us have a very long time on on on, on planet earth um so you, you know when you when you think about how many years you've got left you've got to you've got to think you know carefully about how you're going to use that time i, th- I think for me it certainly made me think i've got to spend you know, that, that, that valuable time that I've got doing something that I love. And that, that was a really important moment. And then from a creativity point of view, I think, you know, you, you, what, what it also made me do was, um, take things in a little bit more. So what, what a big part of my photography is when I get to a location, really thinking about that location and taking my time and spending hours at a location rather than just you know, thinking I've got that shot now and I go somewhere else. I, I very, very rarely get good shots if I if I try and do three or four compositions in a day. It usually takes me probably seven or eight hours in a location to get one shot. What's going through your mind during that process? So I, I think um, just a lot of things. So just like usually how peaceful it is because <laughs> I'm in quite remote locations um I, I i don't tend to go to locations that, that there's a lot of people there i mean obviously if you go to the valley view at yosemite then that's there's a lot of people there and i do like that but mostly i go to places that are quite quiet so just taking that in and then and then i, I tend to just enjoy watching the light and how the light interacts with the land um i think if you can start to understand that and start to understand how the light changes your perception of the land, then you start to see things that perhaps you didn't see before. Um, and I think a lot of people miss that. I think a lot of people just turn up at sunrise or sunset, wait for the golden hour, um, and then think that I've got a good shot, but then miss a lot of the beauty of the landscape. When you talk about the landscape, predominantly, I mean, you live in the UK, you're shooting UK landscapes and locations a lot of the time. What do you say to people who are maybe like, well, the UK, like there's not really that much to shoot there. (laughs) 
well, have they, they'd never been then. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if I never could go, and to be honest, there's, there's, there's something to shoot anywhere. Um, now, obviously, if you go to places that um, that have got big mountains and you know big vistas, then that's usually most landscapers' um, understanding of, of beauty. But I, I think that the UK's probably if i didn't live in the uk it'd be one of my favorite places there is because it's got diversity you you've got coastlines you've got mountains you've got you know fantastic diverse weather you've got lakes you've got amazing ancient forests you've got everything um you 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 literally don't need to go anywhere else this and scotland is and, and wales are, are particularly beautiful how long of a drive is that for you to get up to scotland and wales well the funny thing is that I think it's a long way, but if I speak to my American friends, then they think it's really close. So to get to Scotland and like Glencoe, which would be a, fa- a fairly famous place, it would probably take me about four and a half hours. Um, yeah, that's nothing. Yeah, that's <laughs> that seems like a long way to me. Uh, the Lake District, <laughs> the Lake District, which is in England and and um, it's got lots of lakes, as you imagine, um, and is probably one of the most beautiful places in England. Um, it's about an hour and a half away from me. Um, so yeah, so places are fairly close. England's small and Scotland's, you know, small too. <laughs> no, and I, I spent some time in the UK and I really wanted to focus on like woodland photography while I was there, but I had extreme difficulty in making sense out of like how much chaos was going on around me how do you kind of construct your compositions through that chaos and, and woodland landscapes specifically? Um, where we, where were you in England? I have interest. I was just Northwest of London, probably about, uh, maybe 45 minutes via train out of the city. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know that area very very well um i forget the name of the town that i was in i'm trying to think you might have been in oxford i suppose close Um, to it yeah around oxfordshire um i mean there's beautiful woodland there um there's quite a lot of oak woodland and 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 things but any woodland is difficult to take i mean the the obvious thing is with woodland photography is is you know go there in the autumn and, and go there when there's some um atmosphere and that's usually when it's foggy and we get a lot of fog in england um and 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 fog does two things really it creates a a more simplistic view of the woodland um and for a beginner trying woodland photography i'd say fog's the easiest way of making sense of it and also fog creates depth as well so you you in in an image what you want to do is try and create um in a 2d image you want to try and create a perspective of three dimensions and fog's a really good way of doing that because it creates layers in the image and and and, um that helps a lot but um woodland photography is really difficult and i think it's a real skill and and i think i'm a more of a vista type photographer although i've done a lot more woodland photography in the last two years it's not something that i've done over the last 30 years a huge amount so i think i'm learning all the time as well but it's it's the same principles apply as they do when you're doing vista photography and spending time and really you know i think you can look at any set of trees and if you spend long enough looking at them and just trying to make them work together 
than you probably can. What you're trying to do is create shapes that are pleasing and geometric shapes that are pleasing to the eye. And um, you're not, uh, you know, you, you can still have that chaos there, but you've just got to have that chaos in some sort of form, if you see what I mean. So that, that there, there is some nice triangles or, um, you know, some type of shape within the, the image. Um, and fog's an easy way of helping out with that because it just declutters the, 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 the setup a little bit. Should, should the UK be on people's list to go visit and photograph? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think if, if I would, I mean, I, I, I don't come to the U S very, very much. I mean, obviously I live there and I spent, I spent quite a lot of time fo- photographing around, um, in California. Um, I've been to Zion, but I would say that Scotland is probably as good as those locations. Um, so certainly, you know, if you, if you, if you haven't been to the UK, then I would definitely come to Scotland and definitely come to the northwest of England as well, which is fantastic. But all of the UK is amazing. The coastline is rugged and amazing. Um, and I think most people will be quite surprised. Um, I, I'm going to do a lot more varied photography over the next year, try and get some more coasts um, and, and, and show people how beautiful it is because, yeah, it's, it's an amazing place. Well, I saw you just got a camper van, yeah? Yeah, yeah. What what led you to decide to do that? Well, I've been thinking about it for a long time, actually. In fact, since since I came back from the from the US a couple of years ago, I, I wanted to get one, but I, I wanted I wanted wanted it to be something that well, well, one I could afford. So, you know, I wanted to make sure I'd I'd um, done well enough on my channel and and you know got to the point where I thought I could afford it. So. Um, that was one thing. And, th- and then I just thought it was a good way of being able to get to places and be there for sunrise. You know, quite often I'm climbing up a mountain two hours before sunrise in the dark. And, you know, if I have to stay from a, in a hotel that's a 20 minute drive from that spot, then that's an extra 20 minutes that I, I don't want to have to do. Whereas a camper van offers so much more flexi- flexibility. And it's just cool, isn't it? You know, it's just it's just fun <laughs> as much as anything else. <laughs> what? Well, I know a lot of the national parks in the states because sometimes when I go out and shoot, you know, I'm sleeping in my car just for the advantage that that you said. Like you're right yeah. there when the sun comes up. Yeah, sure. Um, but there are also regulations on where you can sleep uh, in the national parks. Uh, obviously, if you're sleeping just like in some random area, you're kind of uh, being a little bit shady about it, but are there regulations like that in the UK too? Yeah, there are. And, and you've got to be, you've got to be careful, um, wh- where you go. I mean, there's obviously quite a lot of campsites that, that have the advantage of having a, a hookup as well. So you can get some electricity, um, which is obviously useful from time to time, but that then doesn't give you quite the flexibility of just stopping at the side of the road. But there are places that you can stop. Um, there's some good websites that allow you to find those places um, as, as well that people have shared. Um, and quite often you, you are allowed just to stop at the side of the road in, in a lay-by and, 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 um, and park up. You know, as long as you're treating the environment with respect and, and leaving no trace, then, then I think that's fine. Have you seen issues with that in the UK? I know that there's a big push for leave no trace and, and nature first principles here. Have you seen impacts growing in the last few years where you are? 
Honestly, I don't think so. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it's any worse than it has been in the sort of thirty years that I've been, you know, tra- traveling around. In fact, I think there's probably some areas that are probably a little bit better. Um, well, that's good. Yeah, uh, I, I do think though that um, you know there are certain things that that that, that happen. At, you know, if, certainly balloons and things like that are just sick and tired of I've seen I've seen a lot more of those like party balloons that people get with helium and then just end up in places which is just just not good um but no I don't think so I think the bigger not a bigger problem because you know people shouldn't leave things away but most people that go and hike in 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 the in the lake district I don't think it's got a huge amount worse I think people are fairly well educated um occasionally you find things and and you know hopefully people will just pick them up um but i think the bigger problem is as photographers that that what what we've got from just you know you know inevitably we we might go off paths um you know we we might be trekking through places and we've just got to be careful about damaging the environment as well um you know, i'm certainly aware that i do have an impact on the environment when i'm doing photography because you know i might be hiking through some heather in scotland and i'm I'm inevitably going to snap some branches of that heather um so i think you've got to be a little bit careful about that and and think about you know how how big is that impact is it an impact that's sustainable and, and and um it's not just about leaving cans and things like that Hey guys, I just want to pause real quick to talk about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. Visual Wilderness is a website that you can go to to learn how to improve your photography from professional photographers. I'm a contributor to that site. You can find articles, you can find courses, and for a limited time during checkout, you can use the code DAVID33 to get 33% off of my courses. You can go to today's show notes to find the links on how to do that and also how to become a member of visualwilderness.com and pay a very small monthly fee to gain access to hours and hours of content that's gonna help you improve your photography in the field and in post-processing too. Those show notes are gonna be located at davidjohnstonart.com slash podcast slash Nigel. Again, that's David33 during checkout for a limited time. Back to the episode. I do wanna switch gears here. I, I was reading your About Me bio on your website a few days ago, uh, and I wanted to cover each one of your guiding principles that you have, you have five guiding principles. Um, number one, let's just go like right through the list. If you don't mind, let's go. Number one, always photograph the things that I love and never shoot for commercial gain alone. Yep. Um, explain that a little bit more. That, that, that is just the most important thing. Um, and I think it's the, I think it's the reason that I've probably actually been quite quite successful. Um, I, th- I think if you end up shooting um, just for commercial gain, if you're thinking like if 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 I think if I go to this location or if I run a workshop here, will it make me more money? Then and, ele- and inevitably start doing things because it will make more money rather than because I'm really excited at going to shoot that location. So 
you know, for instance, I know that I can get more, do more workshops if I just do workshops in the Peak District, which is really close to me. But I've sort of stopped doing those now because I don't enjoy them quite as much as I used to. So I, I, I thought, well, OK, I'll, I'll earn less money, but there's no point doing something I don't love. Um, and I think if you do things that you love, then you'll do a better job of them and you'll end up producing much better photos in the end um and then also from a commercial point of view everyone will be happier as well because they'll, they'll if i'm enjoying it they're going to enjoy it more as well which kind of leads back into your viewpoint on why your youtube channel has been so successful yeah it's just it's just honesty and doing things that you love i, I think i think that's just so so important and, and um i think a lot of people ask me how to make money out of photography and um you know that the the, the 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 answer to that is just do what you love and do a good job of it and then i think the the ways of, of of making money will be uncovered and 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 you know a lot of people complain oh i don't want to do things for free or i'm giving people um access to my content for free on youtube for instance i've I, i've heard people say that but for me i i don't feel like i'm giving my contact content for free i feel like um i'm actually lucky for people to spend their time looking at my content so they're spending their time that's the cost to them um so i'm grateful for that and then if somebody is actually going to make a monetary investment in in a print of mine or a workshop um then then that's great um and and, and that is why i think from a financial point of view that i've been successful i think too like i kind of subscribed to the thought of give more away than you're asking for and if you're doing it the right way, people are going to find the places that you are selling something or where you need support and they'll give that back to you if you're being honest and, and providing things up front for them. That's, that's, that's exactly right. Um, and at the end of the day, nobody buys anything unless they've got a need that they need fulfilling. Um, and um, so you, you've got to you can only sell things that fulfill a need. Um, so if you can give some free things to, um, you know, sh sh to, to create a, a, a good relationship, then there's more chance that that person's then going to invest with you to solve that, that need that they have. Number two is shoot more sunrises than sunsets, even in the summertime. Why sunrises over sunsets? I mean, there's multiple reasons for, for, for that. I mean, I, 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 the reason I put that when I did that, I probably need to change that now because I do shoot, shoot a lot of sunrises. Um, but <laughs> I, I used to go out and shoot sunsets a lot because it used to be an afterthought. So I used to think, oh, I probably should go and do some photography. So I would then go and, um, you know, find somewhere um, that I could shoot and, um, and, and, and then go out. I, I, but I'd only plan it three or four hours before sunset um whereas with sunrise you've got to plan it you know more in advance you, you and and then because you're planning it more in advance you have a better plan and and also sunrise tends to be better light has better atmosphere you know you you, you tend to have that cold conditions of the night that then create a better atmosphere for photography um and i always find that i i get better results with sunrises than i do with sunsets um, so I keep need to keep reminding myself to do that, but it's hard <laughs> to hike in the dark. <laughs> so it's a bit riskier too, because like you show up there, you don't really. It's dark predominantly. You can't really fully see what the 
clouds and the sky conditions are going to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's photography, isn't it? I mean, I, I go out. If, if, if I have good conditions one in 10 times, then I'm pleased. I mean, it, most of my, and, and the thing that I probably don't show enough on YouTube is I just go out so much and, and fail <laughs> so many times. Um, so yeah, you, you, you're right, but you, you've got to fail, haven't you? you, you you've got to, and you've, you've got to be in it to win it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And like you said earlier, I mean, you can create a photo out of really any experience. Yeah, you you can actually. Yeah, I mean, you you know, if if it's a if it, if you wanted golden light, but you didn't get that, and it was a really you know, gray, horrible, dull day, then you know that's probably going to create quite a dramatic photo if if you were inclined to take that and you want you wanted to express your mood when you saw that. Um, and I think it probably end up creating a photo that did express your mood that you were fairly down about the whole situation. <laughs> <laughs> is that something you try to tap into the the emotional connection when you are shooting sunrises oh yeah definitely i mean emo- emotion is the most important thing in photography um i mean you can have like a subject and get, have the right time in and and you know get the right composition and have amazing light but if you don't connect emotionally with the photo then i don't i don't think it really works you, you end up just with a postcard of a shot um, and this, you know, you can go into um, a tourist office somewhere and, and and see postcards. And I tend to think they, those types of shots you don't really connect with. Whereas if you look at good photographers, um, then you know, actually, I was just looking at. Uh, I've just got a book um, from Adam Gibbs, actually, Quiet Light. And if you look at his photos, then there's a definite, he's had an emotional connection when he's taken those photos. You can just tell. And, and I have it when I look at those photos. Number three is don't spend too much time editing my photos. Why? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a funny one, that, because I think editing is really important. I, I, I think um, people don't give it, don't actually spend enough time doing it. But for me... Um, I feel like my time's better spent out getting the negatives effectively, you know, taking those raw images. Um, and then, then I'll always have time where I sit down thinking, okay, let's go and edit, edit some photos. But if I just waste all my time editing photos, then I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to create new stuff. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to develop new um, ideas. Um, so, so, and then the other thing for me is that I have a really bad back. So sitting down is, is really difficult for me to do. Um, I, I've got a trap nerve in my back and, and I, I've really struggled with sitting down. So, you know, the last thing I want to do is spend three or four hours editing photos. Do you find a lot of people think that you are spending hours at a time at the computer editing your images? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's funny actually, because I just did a video on how to create painterly looking photos um, in Lightroom. That was my latest video that I published yesterday. Um, and I edited the photo in that video and it probably took me, I don't know, 10 minutes. Now, I obviously knew what I did when I first edited it. Now, but when I first edited it, it probably took me 30 minutes. And what I tend to do when I edit photos is I'll probably spend between, I don't know, 15 and 30 minutes editing the photo. Then I'll leave it for a day and come back to it, spend another 10 or 15 minutes, leave it for a week, come back to it. And and I find that really works very well because if I spend too long editing a photo, I, I, I end up just getting blind and I don't quite 
Um, I don't quite get that right connection with the photo. Number four is my favorite on the list. Personally, this is something that I harp on all the time with, you know, students on YouTube, things like that. And it's don't buy new gear unless mine is broken or stopping me from getting the images I desire. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's really hard though, isn't it? Because we all like new gear, don't we? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love getting new cameras and, 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 yeah, you know, I'm I'm a, a Nikon fan. I, I I've also got a Fuji, and I love my Fuji as well. But I'm you know I've had Nikon's for 30 years. I mean, I just love Nikon cameras. Um, and the Z7 that I use for all my landscape photography, and actually the D800 that I had before that, um, is is good enough. I mean, I do not need a better camera. But I guarantee you, when the Z8 comes out or whatever the next camera is, that I will try and persuade myself that I need it. Um, and it's a difficult one for me is from YouTube because I think people um, want to know what my feelings are of cameras. And I don't tend to talk about gear very much on my on my channel. But but the fact is, it, it just never makes a difference to your photography. It might inspire you for months to go out more. Um, you might get more megapixels, but megapixels isn't, isn't a thing, really. It's, it's, it just doesn't matter. Um, I, I, I could show on Instagram shots I've taken with my phone or my Z7 and people will not be able to tell the difference. Um, so it's a tricky one. And I think you've just got to have a need and, and a need might be. So for, from a videography point of view, that might be that I need to shoot 60 frames per second at 4k or, you know, there's, a, there's a definite need that would make a difference to my videos. Um, or it might be an improvement in the audio quality, but from a photography point of view, I actually don't think cameras, can get a huge amount better um, um they're good enough for everybody and people need to not buy new cameras but i will still buy new cameras so i'll probably fail at that one every time <laughs> number five is visit and photograph three new locations every single year why do you make that one of your guiding principles for your landscape photography so i think um it's not just about actually uh, visiting new places, but but just having change in your photography. And I think change is good. I mean, if you don't change, you never get better at anything. Um, uh, you know, you, if you stick doing the same things, then you'll continue having the same output. Um, and and so by going to new locations, one, I get different images from different locations, but I also maybe think about things in a different way. So I think I think that's really important. And it might just be a different woodland it doesn't have to be um like for this th th this year for instance one of the places is patagonia but it doesn't have to be such a grand location as that you know it could be just just a different place on the coast or a different woodland but i definitely think it's a good idea to do that and and, and having said that it's also really good to keep going back to places as well because that's when i probably get my best photos when i go back to those places but um, I, I think I got stuck in a rut of going back to the same places again and again and again. So I wanted to add into um, my principles that, you know, I should try new places. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's important. Have you seen a lot of success out of that? Um, no, <laughs> probably, probably, not, <laughs> pro pro probably not yet. I mean, it's interesting, actually, because one of the ones last year was Switzerland. So I did a thing with my calendar, a golden ticket, where um, I put a golden ticket in a calendar 
and I didn't know who it was going to. It could have gone to, I think the calendar went to 78 countries. So it could have gone anywhere. I think, I think one of them was, well, they were all over the, the world anyway. Um, and it, I was hoping it wasn't going to go to Manchester, which is like eight miles away. I'd be <laughs> so dull if that had happened. Um, but um, it ended up going to Switzerland and I was so excited. We went to Switzerland. It was amazing. The place was amazing. We had amazing conditions. I didn't get amazing photos. And I, I, I um, you know, the, the, the people I was there with really enjoyed it and we had a great time. Um, and, and I realized then that you do need to go back to locations. You do, you know, you do need to have that time to be able to go back to that location. So it's, it's hard. And I think that's why people you know, amateur photographers um, that can't spend as much time as maybe somebody like me can struggle with photography because because they might go to a location, like somebody might come and visit the UK, go to Scotland, go to Glencoe, and then go away with photos and think, oh, well, they're not as good as, you know, mine or, or somebody else that lives there. Um, and, um, and that's not because I'm a better photographer. It's just that I've probably been back again and again. So as well as visiting new locations, I think you've not got to just visit new locations. And I, I, I do, but I still want to carry on doing it because I feel that I might find a location like I found the Faroe Islands, for instance, and I go back there again and again, that I think this is really good. There's a lot to be had here. And I'm going to go back there and really make the most of it. Um, and um, the Faroes is a good example of that. When you do go to these locations, like for the first time, do you find yourself jumping around to a lot of different places within that location? Or do you kind of just find one and continue to return until you get something that you really appreciate? So what, what I tend to do is that I, I would, I'll, in a day, I'll choose two locations, um, usually one for sunrise and one for sunset. And then... Um, I'll probably spend after I've taken the photos at sunrise and, and, and sometimes like in the Faroe Islands, you can shoot all through the day, really. Um, but I might then scout that location for a bit longer and then go to the sunset location. And then I'll always give myself some days that are free that I can go back to some of the, the, the best locations that I've not been, you know, that, that I've been to and think, OK, I need I now need to go back to that when the weather's better or spend a bit more time there. So so if I had a five day trip then I might end up having two days that were that I'd go back to locations and three days where I'd visit um, new locations. So I'd end up in those five days probably looking at six locations. Um, and then maybe I'd hope to get maybe two compositions in each, so maybe 12 photos. Um, and if I went away from a five-day trip with 12 good photos, then I'd be really, really pleased. I am glad you brought up the the calendars just a second ago because I did want to ask about that. And this is really honestly a, like a selfish question for me because it's something that I've been looking to do for a couple of years now, but I just haven't had or found a good process of creating those, uh, selling those. What's the process behind that and how do you make it financially worth it and i'm making air quotes with my fingers right now <laughs> yeah i mean it's luckily I, I i have a really good printing company not too far away from me that um is, is very well established at producing books and calendars and and i got a lot of advice from them when i started doing it um i think you've got to 
and bulk is important. So you've got, I think you've got to know that you can, you, you can, you can sell a reasonable amount. I mean, I am lucky enough to be able to sell, um, you know, a few thousand of them. So uh, that made it quite cheap per calendar. So then makes it, um, you know, uh, more profitable, profitable for me um, to, to be able to do. Uh, and, and, and also, if you can do bulk, you can do a higher quality printing process um, rather than a digital printing process, which is never quite as good a, pro, a, a good a process. Uh, so it, it, it's, it, it is difficult. I did. A, I actually did a video on it. So if you search my thing on, on calendars and I did a video just on making a calendar and, and, and the whole process of going through it from start to end, um, I think I think it's. You've got to have a. You've got to have an audience. You've got to know that you, you're going to be able to sell those. Because I don't, I don't think people will buy a calendar from somebody they don't know just because the images are good. I think people buy mm-hmm. calendars from people because they like that person and they want to either invest in some of their art um, on a in a cheaper way than maybe a, a limited edition print, or just support that person. And because you know, at the end of the day, a, a calendar is quite a cheap purchase for somebody, and it's a good way of getting some high quality prints we'll finish up on this who is more well known do you think you or pebbles <laughs> um um well she's not in the room so me <laughs> no uh, pebbles definitely <laughs> Pebble, pe- pe- <laughs> yeah. so 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 pebbles is definitely better, better, better known it's funny actually because i i, I need to invite her into into invite her i say invite her. she's not like going to say no is she but um and, and she needs to come into she needs to come into more videos because um but but whenever i think i'll do a video with pebbles i think last time she ruined my microphone or i just ended up chasing her uh, uh, and she wrecked all the the video that i was trying to do and it was it's so much harder shooting when pebbles is there um but then everyone loves it <laughs> i just might as well just do a video this is pebbles <laughs> well he's nigel danson joining us from the uk thank you so much for coming on sharing your thoughts on uh the art form we all love that's landscape photography great yeah it was fantastic to chat